So I say good morning once again, and good morning to those who are watching online. It's my assignment this morning to talk about the doctrine of imputation. Uh, the word imputation means someone is responsible for something else that has happened. So this is what we're looking at today. We're here as a result of what someone else has done. We were deprived as a result of what someone else has done. So we're going to be looking at that. The doctrine of imputation is so fundamental to our Christian walk that having a firm grasp of it will not just allow us to grow spiritually, but it will also increase our faith. Because when we understand these things, then we begin to realize that we don't have to struggle as much as we want, as we usually do. Whereby it's like every time you say something, you feel guilty. Every time you feel like you haven't prayed for a day, you begin to feel guilty because you think it's something that you have done. But this, this I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray daily, but I'm just saying that it's that coming to that bit in your life whereby you understand that it is outside of you. This grace, this, this gift is something that God has given freely. So when we design things like infrastructure such as bridges and tunnels, it is very important that we maintain them. And that is why I am talking about this today. I understand that there's so many people here who understand this concept very well. They've, they've heard about it when they first became safe 50 years ago. But there's some times whereby we could begin to forget those foundations or take our eyes off it slightly. And sometimes, as even as infrastructures could start to rot beneath, whereby on the surface it looks okay, but beneath, the rot is beginning to eat away, and before you know it, anything, something could just happen, bang, and then everything begins to crumble. So it's very important that from time to time that we always go back to the basics, look underneath, make sure that everything is still in place, the bolts, the nuts, they're still in place. And this is what we're going to try and do this morning. Especially when we live in a time whereby we bombard 24 hours with social media. You know, there are things that have been crafted carefully from the pits of hell to numb our senses. Things whereby before, when, when you hear it in the news, like someone got stabbed, it's like that is it. It becomes a day of mourning. But our senses have become so numb these days that like when you hear someone got stabbed in, in London, you could just continue eating. This is not normal. Something's gone wrong. And this is why we have to come back to those basics and check all those fundamentals that we've been taught to make sure that they're still in place. The attack is so severe and so subtle that before you know it, it happens gradually. It's not sudden. It happens bit by bit. It happens in the change of language. Many years ago, I bought a Christian CD. This is when it began to dawn on me that something is beginning to happen here. In this Christian music CD, the artist used a phrase, oh, this is wicked, man. This is wicked, implying that it was good. Now, wicked is wicked. Good is good. <laughs> Two don't, they, 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 they don't match. And But we have come into church whereby it's now coming to the church. It's become a normal thing for young people in the church to be talking about something being wicked, being good. No, it's not. And we've got to check it. 
The church of God is meant to be walking in parallel with the world. It's not meant to mix with it. The word of God is powerful. It could change lives. We don't need to help it. It helps us. Amen. It's so sad. From the start of civilization, it was accepted there were two genders, male and female. Nowadays, that's up for debate. Very sad indeed. But I declare to you, today, this morning, that on the authority of the Bible, the Bible only recognizes two genders, male and female. And if the Bible says it, that settles it for me. No, no further debate. Anyone can make up whatever you want to make for it. But if the Bible says it, the Bible is an inherent word of God. I stand on the authority of the word of God. Nothing else. No philosophy, no psychology. It is the word of God, the power of the word of God. It has changed life. It transforms life. It transformed my life. It transformed most people's life. It has power. All we have to do is rest in it. The book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote 14 books in the New Testament, assuming we add the book of Hebrews, which I believe he wrote, even though he didn't ascribe his name to it. Although we have the, the Romans appears as the first book in the, one, of the first, one of his first writings, it was not actually his first writing. His first writing, as I believe, was the book to the Galatians, then the Thessalonians, then the Corinthians, then to the Romans. The reason why we have the book of Romans as a force is because of its eloquence, the beauty, the clarity that the book gives. One of the gifts of the Apostle Paul is the ability to draw words as pictures. He's gifted in writing. It's like he starts with a dry, it starts with a blank canvas. He sprays a dark paint of it, completely dark. And then he begins bit by bit to begin to paint a picture, a beautiful picture on salvation. And this is what it's all about. The book of Romans is about the salvation of man and what God has done and where we were and when, 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 about God's promises that's given and God's fulfillment in that promise. Justification by faith. So, as a collagious hacks that we just stand now, we're going to be reading the book of Romans. We're going to read it in its entirety. Then, after the reading, then I will zoom in to the actual area, which is from verse 12 onward. So, if we could just read, stand for the reading of the word of God. The reason why I say that we stand, we have a model in the book of Nehemiah, whereby when Nehemiah, when Ezra the priest, opened the book the people, and stood up to read, all the people stood up to read the word of God. God honors his word above his name. We shall too. 
When we approach the word of God, there's something about the word of God that we should, when, when, when we read it, it is power. We should look at it as power. The more we respect this book, wherever the book says it's right, we say it's right, but we get our hearts to that point wherever we tuned, then we know that we begin to see the power of God in our lives. If we take God serious, God will take us seriously. Romans chapter 5, starting from verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2. By whom also we have access by faith into his grace, wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patient and patient experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were, for when we were yet without sin, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely, for a righteous man, one will die. Yet, peradventure, for a good man, some will even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man's sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. 13. For until the law, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigneth from Adam to Moses, even over them that have not sinned, and after the similitude of Adam's transgression who is the figure of him that was to come. 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if the offense of many be dead, sorry, 15 again, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, had abounded unto many. And 
16, and not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundant grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin had reigned unto death, even so might grace reign unto righteousness, unto eternal life by, the, by Christ Jesus our Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated, please. Sorry for that long reading. I've always found it um, necessary to always read the entirety of God's word. Just in case, by the time when I'm finished, there's nothing that you picked up. But one thing is guaranteed. If you hear the word of God, is doing something. When you speak, the word of God is doing something. So whatever happens, you've heard the word of God, undiluted, untouched. And I believe that has power and that does something in your spirit. You may not know it, but something has been deposited by your listening to the word of God. Okay, so now I start. So like I said, I am going to be focusing on from verse 12 of chapter 5. So, wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For what we could see here, we could see a sequence. We have disobedience, that's led to sin, that's then led to death. It is a progressive thing. We're not meant to die, but because of that disobedience, sin entered the world, and the wages of sin is death. This is how God has ordained it. It will not return to him void. He said, when I send forth my word, it does not return to me void. He said, he said let there be light. And there was light. So when God, when God gives his word, it never returns void. If we, God said, if, if you could just quickly turn to Genesis chapter 2, please. Genesis chapter 2. 
And I really want to look at verse 17, but we go from 16 just to have a good run in. So Genesis chapter 2, starting from verse 16. If you dare say amen. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Thou shalt surely die. Die. Now you say to me, brother, the Bible is wrong. And I say, why? He said, well, Adam actually lived up to the age of 930. This is according to Genesis 5 5, so he didn't die. Wow, is that true? No, the Bible is right. The Bible is true. You see, at this point, it will be useful for us to, to, term, to define our terms a bit more clearly so that we could all be on the same page. When the Bible talks of death, it's different from when we consider death. We consider death when we check that someone has got a pulse or heartbeat, or we attach the ECG machine, the electrocardiogram. I just learned that over the weekend, by the way. So. <laughs> over the weekend, electrocardiograph. Machine. I, don't, well, I didn't know that was, what that was. Um, when, we, when we attach that to the patient, and you see the bib, they say he's alive. Immediately, it flats line. We say, well, they're dead. And sometimes, I found that those pulse could flat line for a few minutes, then come back into life. But there are certain times whereby when flat lines continuously, they only pass about half, they say, some people say about five minutes, some say 20 minutes. But whatever it is, when it flat lines, they say, well, they're dead. This is different from what the Bible considered death. Life without, de- with life without God is death. You're dead, 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 dead. So if a man lives outside of God, as far as the Bible is concerned, you're dead. The Bible talks about, thanks to Eastward, the Bible talks about death 342, in 342 verses. It talks about die, 299 verses, so it shows you that there's something about death that the Bible wants us to, to understand. So, there is death. You see, in order to understand how the, what the Bible means by death, it's good for us to understand the composition of man. God that we serve is a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. They're not the same. They're three completely separate people. But 
all who are in full agreement of one another. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit. They're different. And by the way, the Holy Spirit is a person. He feels, he grieves, he enjoys, so he's a person. So, in order to understand that, we could see, if we turn, if we look at, uh, I think it's in Genesis 1, if we, if we, if just, you don't have to turn to it if you don't want to, but in Genesis 1, just to show, Genesis 1.25, Genesis 125. I'm reading from 25. I'll be reading 25 and 26. And by the way, I, if you have, I'm sure you figured it out that I'm reading from the King James Version. So, you know, um, most of the commentary I have is usually King James. So it was easier for me to just stick there. And God made, um, that's 25, Genesis 1, verse 25. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good, 26. Very important. And God said, let us, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeped upon the earth. So we see the pronoun us, and the preposition referring to, it refers to a group. It says, let us, which means that God was not talking to himself. He wasn't talking to himself by saying, let us. We believe that he was talking in the council of the Trinity. That he, that they, through their infinite wisdom from the foundation of false that yet they were going to create man. And that day was when they said, let us make man in our image. We all know that God... Is spirit. God is spirit. He doesn't have a physical body like we, we have. So he's spirit. And we are made in his image, which then means that we are spirits. We are spirit beings. We have a soul and we live in a body. But first we are spirits. We are spirits. We have a soul, and we live in a body. Our spirit, in the image of God, our soul, is what differentiates us as people. Our attributes, our likes, our dislikes. These are attributes that are related to, that is uniquely distributed, but our spirit is, we are, Firstly, spirit. When we die, our spirit and our soul returns and our body is laid to the ground, either cremated, burnt, whatever it is, that's it. 
It's come from the dust. It go back to the dust. But the spirit and the soul returns back to God. So we were made in the image of God. If this is foreign, then we could having a look at Luke 16, Luke 16, 19 to 31. So this is the story of Lazarus. I'm going to read from 19. There was a rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. And there was a set there was a certain burger named Lazarus which was laid at the gate at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the, uh, carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lifted up his voice, being in torment, and sit Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his fingers in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, Remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth the good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us there is a great gulf fixed so that there will... That, that, so that they which will pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that will come from thence. I think I'll stop it there. You get this. The point I'm trying to, the reason why I brought this up is to show the existence of the soul beyond the grave. We saw in the text both people died. The rich man died. Lazarus died. And not only the text tells us that Lazarus was not buried. They probably just tossed his body on the, on, uh, somewhere. But his body, he died. And he went into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died. 
Now, the interesting thing to me from that story is as follows. The rich man recognized Lazarus in the afterlife. Which means that there must have been something about a soulish body conforming to his physical body for him to be recognized. That's a possibility. There's a possibility that there are senses that we don't yet have down that when we die, we will have. But one thing is clear by looking at this text. One, there is remembrance in the grave. Abraham said, remember, remember that in your lifetime, you had good things. He didn't. So there is remembrance. One of the things that when you speak to people on the street, when you're trying to do evangelism, they seem to have this concept that once they die, that's it. Bang. Finished. We don't believe it. The Bible doesn't teach that. We have to be very careful. There is hell. People don't want to talk about it anymore. There is hell. And we have to try everything possible to try. It was not designed for us. It was designed for Satan and his demons. We don't need to go there. Jesus has made a way that we don't go there. So, beyond the grave, there is, there is knowledge beyond. So, it's like, you will remember. You will remember your life. Later on in the story, the rich man said, again, if you're an arrogant person... In this life, when you die, you will still be arrogant. <laughs> you know, he is so used to commanding and bossing people around. And when he died, he said, send Lazarus to go to, to take his hand. Dip it. Can you imagine that? Arrogant. You know? But that was how he is because his consciousness, everything still remained, even though there was a separation of his spirit, his soul, and his body, but yet he was still who he was. So, when the Bible says, in Genesis 2.17, Adam ate the forbidden fruit, he died. That day, he died. He might have lived another 930 years, but he's, he was a living, dead man. I don't know how long Pastor John has been talking about being dead uh, through the book of Ephesians. We were all dead in our sins. Dead, dead, dead. Every time I see that word, I just say, like, whoa, thank you, Lord. There was nothing. He said we were all dead in our trespasses. He said even when we were dead in our sins, has quickened us together. Look, we were dead completely. There was nothing that we could do. I once learned that if you wanted to get a dead body from the river, you have to go and fetch it. It can't. There's nothing you could do. The body is floating in the water. If you need to get it out, you need to go and get it. It needs help outside itself. It can't deliver itself. If you throw a life rope to it, it can't grab it. It's dead. And that's what we were, dead. 
it's important to understand the limitations that God has given Satan. All you could do is kill our bodies. We live in a time whereby the evil is present in. And we hear in places across the world whereby people are being murdered for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And one day you never know. It might come here. It was once here. People got burnt to the state. And this is the reason why I believe that people should take Christianity seriously. It's cost a lot. For us to sit down here, it's cost blood of many that has gone before us. When you read the word of God, it has cost lives to get it into our hands. Never take it for granted. People have given their lives for the preservation of this word that God wanted us to have. We are the benefactors. And we have to protect it with everything we've got, even our lives. The Bible says, in Matthew, you don't have to turn to it, in Matthew 10, 20, it said, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There again, hell, kill, body, soul. We're not to fear Satan. We're not to go binding him, as some people say, I bind you, no, 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 no. We shall take our pattern from the book of Jude, so that the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And it's like, oh, in the name, I bind you, no, 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 no. I don't want to deal with Satan. I like, I like the Lord between me and Satan. <laughs> you deal with my Lord. I, I'm behind you, Lord. You deal with it. But we're not to fear him. Because the worst he could do is kill our bodies. And then after that, there's nothing else he could do. But I say fear him who could both cast your body and your soul in hell, who is God? He could do it. The soul and the spirit is so intertwined that it's only the word of God that could separate them, according to the book of Hebrews. God can. He could separate them and then cast your soul into hell, cast your body into your body will be here anyway, but cast your soul into hell for eternal torment. I don't want that. I don't want that. And it will be very sad that anyone sitting here will have to experience that. Especially if it's been taught Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. That there'll be any that will go there. We have to acknowledge that it exists. And we don't toy with it. It is not a joke. The Christian walk is not a joke. It is serious. There are powers. There are waging wars in the heavenlies that we can't even see. But we trust in the Lord. Moving on. 
Romans, back to Romans chapter 5. Just going to skip briefly on 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not, is not imputed where there's no law. Sin entered the world the day that Adam disobeyed God. That was it. And once it enters, it doesn't go. <laughs> it's like government tyranny power. Once you give the government power, they never relinquish it. Because they are children of Satan himself. It's very important to know that God did not make the law so that we could be perfect. That was not the reason for the law. The law is good. The laws of God are good. I say they are good. I agree that they are good. God is just. We may not. Sometimes when we try to disagree with the word of God, it's because that we've been tainted, we've been stained by the filth of this world. If enough people begin to do things, it becomes normalized. As if, and then we begin to go against the word of God. But the word of God is just. The law was created by God to show us how far we've gone away, how, we, how far we've missed the mark. So trying to keep the law does not make you righteous. It can't make you righteous. You will burn out because if you've missed one, you've missed all. So don't even try. Oh, yeah, I've said my seven commandments. Yes, I pray. I hear my hey, Mary. No, don't do it. You burn out. The law was just there as a guide. It's like someone driving at 40 miles per hour where there's a, a, a 30 miles per hour sign. If that sign was not there, you're probably not breaking the law. But once that sign is put there, that means that if you go above that, you have now broken the law. That is what God was trying to do. Here's a law. I'm a holy God. I want you to be holy. I want you to keep my commandment. I want you to keep my Lord. This is how I, this is how I want to be worshipped. Who are we to tell him? No, we don't want to do that. We've been singing, he's the pastor, we're the clay. It's his business to do, to, to make out of the clay something of honor, something of dishonor. It's his prerogative. We have no, you know, why have you made me so? Why am I not a millionaire? Why am I not as tall as Brother John? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, I've come to that point but like, I've had those questions. When I was young, they used to call me Gary because I was so short. But who could question God? Who? Who? No one can. 14. 
Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, and after the similitude of, of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. I know most people sitting here understand, but just for the sake of young believers who might stumble across this on YouTube or somewhere, the word Adam means it's synonymous for mankind, you know, it's just, so it's nothing to do with, you know, masculinity, it's like, it's like a male, why did God make him a male? It's like, no, no, the world is just for mankind, although God made him male, so let's make sure I'm clear on that, so that people twist that. Adam was made a male. But the word Adam means earth, because he's come from the earth, you know, from the ground, that's why. And when we die, that's where we naturally return back to, to where we've come. God created us from the dust of the earth, breathed into our nostrils, and we became a living soul. And this then brings me now to where I'm actually trying to go to with my message. <laughs> so all that was just in the way of introduction. <laughs> so now, if we look at verse 14, it said, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. This now brings the concept of what we call original sin versus actual sin. We have to get these two, these two things clear in our minds. Original sin, actual sin. We are conceived and born with this original sin. You don't have to do anything. You've got it. If you were born after the will of the flesh, then you've got it. <laughs> we inherited this, or it was imputed to us, through our father, Adam, the first man. And this is what the Apostle Paul is trying to, to draw out to our attention here. He said, I repeat, he said, uh, for, let's give it, it's 14. It says, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned. That means, don't, you, know, you didn't eat the fruit, I didn't eat the fruit. <laughs> you have said but here we are, we're paying the price because Adam was a federal head for mankind. For when Adam sinned, all sinned. But there's good news. If we stop there, then we might as well just go home and just wait till that day when he calls us. But there's good news. Because even as we had a federal head in in, in, in in Adam, we also had a federal head in Christ, which brings life. But I don't want to go ahead of myself. I hold myself. I get excited when I think about the word of God, and I just think about the book of Romans. It's so exciting. It's like, whoa, yeah. Look, praise God. See, look, we're on the winning team. We can't lose. We're on the winning team. He's done it. 
So, original sin, actual sin. Actual sin occurs when we violate the laws of God. When we violate the laws of God. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about... But there are certain laws that have been put in place by God. To commit actual sin, you have to have understanding of what you're doing. Sometimes you could sin without knowing what you're doing. Because the book of Leviticus tells it, if a a soul sins through ignorance, there is a possibility that you sin through ignorance, and that sin still requires forgiveness. And that's why when Jesus hanged upon that cross, he had to say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they've done. He had to do that. He had to say that. He had to alter that. Even though although they were nailed him in ignorance, they were still accountable because, you know, they did it. But actual sin means doing something, you know, wrong. Some of you know that it's, you know, it's a, a man having an affair with another man's wife or wife. You know, these are actual sins. You, 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 you know what you're doing. You, you, you know what you do it anyway. These are sin. So actual sin is sin that we build for ourselves compared to the original sin which is imputed unto us through Adam. We have to have that clear distinction. Because if we don't believe that, then we will struggle with the, the, the salvation that we get through Jesus Christ. Because it's still the same pat, pattern of the imputation of one righteous man, we all become righteous compared to when one, one man sinned and we all became sinners. So we have to have these things firmly grafted in our mind. A newborn baby has no concept of right or wrong, especially if they are under the age of accountability. But sadly, we do know that we have known babies that have died. Sadly, it's not a good thing. Question: Why? Why? That child hasn't committed and done anything wrong. We will say. Very sad, very tragic. But this child has the original sin. And because of they've got that original sin, that process of death has been activated through the inheritance that we had from the first Adam. Hard to bear, hard to think about, but these are the truth. When we, when we commit sin, actual sin, if we put aside the concept of original sin, if we commit, if we commit actual sin, we are not the only person that gets affected by the sin that we commit. If I commit a, a sin against my family, you know, I might go away and think, okay, yeah, I'm happy. But other people have been affected by this action that I've done. My wife, my children. 
they will be affected by this actual sin they've committed. So sometimes it's not the actual sin is not just related to the person committing it, but it usually affects a wider, you know, how much more the original sin. So we should always, when, when we do these things, we should begin to understand like sin is like, oh, it's my sin, it's only me. No, 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 no. No, it's not only you. Families become at loggerheads. So through one man's action of doing something because he feels he wants to be happy, I just want to be happy, nobody understands me. It's just always me. You know, poor old me. Why they always, is, you know, it has to be me. Poor old me. They don't understand what I'm going through. What are you going through? The Bible says there's nothing that you've gone through that no one hasn't been through before. Well, this is how I sack myself up, man. When I, when I get into those pump, those pump modes where get yourself there. Come on, look at you. <laughs> just get up your sorry self, man. Just you know, sack yourself up and praise the Lord and just start singing praises to the Lord. And before you know it, bang, you lift it up again. One way in which we will see actual sin in operation or original sin in operation is through children. Through children. Children, what you have to teach them is do the right thing. You have to teach children to do the right thing. By default, children don't want to do the right thing. That is our responsibility that they do. So we have to teach them truth. Lying comes naturally to the flesh. Because this is the fallen nature. So it's a natural thing that the body wants to just do things that pleases it. Even though we know that's not right. I go to McDonald's. I know it's not right. But I still do it. <laughs> you know. I, I love McDonald's. Every country I go to, the first thing I do is look for is a McDonald's. <laughs> you know, you you know what you're getting. I want McDonald's. <laughs> so, what we have to teach, we have to tell, we have to teach children. And thank God that God, because and even when you look at children, sometimes when you think. What about, especially when, they, when they're throwing their tantrums? You know, it's like, shake it, they it, they it, I want food, I want food, and you think it. I say, well, what if that child was grown up? He will rip you out. And that's why God made them so small, giving you time to train them. By the time when they come out, you will have, they will have come out of it. If he made them that big from starters, they will rip you apart. <laughs> But at the same time, he also made them so cute that you don't kill them when they cry. You know, you're trying to sleep, you've just done a 12 hour shift, you come back, you lay down, wah, wah. I think, child, I just want to sleep. I want to sleep, don't you understand? <laughs> but God had made them so cute that you wake up, you look at them, I'm tired. You look at that smile, and they just smile at you. And you think, 
It's four o'clock in the morning. Why are you smiling at me? <laughs> oh, praise God. Praise God. We. So, I, I, I mentioned something earlier on about actual sin and violating the law of God. In Romans 1, turn to Romans 1.20, please. Romans 1, verse 20. And I read, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world were clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish hearts was darkened. Or darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, to become fools. Professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. So, there is a natural law that God will use to judge the ungodly. One of the debates I used to have when I first became a Christian is like when you try to witness to someone and say, it's like, what about that man who lives in the Amazon who's never heard about God, who has never heard about Jesus? What are you going to do with him? Is God going to send him to hell because he, he's never heard of God? But now I know that you could just turn to, to Romans chapter 1 because he displayed it. You could turn to Psalms 19. And it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament show his handiwork. Day unto day unto speech. Night unto night shred knowledge. There's no speech or language in which their voices are not heard. That means God speaks through nature. God speaks through nature. If you deny that, you have sinned against the creator. If you've attributed the creation to anything else other than to God, you have sinned and violated God's word. The heavens declare the glory of God. You look at the skies, you look at the trees, the birds, the firmament in the sky. All we should be able to say is, Thou art worthy to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. It's amazing how we've lost the sense of holiness in the church. We come very casually to church. We come casually. If we were going before the Queen of England, we will not go casually before the King, and that's the Queen of England. She might make a hundred, but 
God has been from everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting. He is King of kings and the Lord of lords. When we approach the Lord, we shall approach it with a sober mind, with a great understanding that he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. To understand something about the holiness of God. You don't have to turn to it. I'll just read a few scriptures from Isaiah. Some scriptures by holy men, people who we consider holy men, on the effect that seeing the holiness of God has on them. The effect, when we think about God, the effect that it should have on us. God is not our body, He's not our mate. I heard someone say, J.C., Jesus Christ, the man upstairs. Whoa. It's not funny. Use the name of Jesus Christ as a swear word. I don't know about you. Every time someone does that, it's like someone's just punched me in my tummy. I feel it. You should feel it too. When the name of the Lord, our God, is blasphemed, we shall feel it. And if you don't feel it, you shall ask the Lord, why am I not feeling this? Why am I not feeling this, Lord? Why can I see your name blasphemed and it, and it has no effect on me? It should have an effect on you. When you become born again, something happens, you become alive. The Spirit lives in you. Spirit of it lives in you, and then you become a new person, all gone. If you're somebody who stole, you stop stealing. If you're somebody that swear, you stop swearing. He cleans you up. It may not be immediate, but there should be a transformation taking place. Digress a bit. My company had um, a Christmas party on Thursday, which I attended. And I was speaking to a young man, and he said, um, what does it take to join your club? What does it take to join your club? I said, well, uh, well you just come as you are. <laughs> but most importantly, if you're a sinner, you don't stay as you are. That's the difference. You know, anyone is welcome to the house of God. But if you come with an agenda to disrupt the flocks that it is the duty of the elders of the church to speak to you and even get rid of you. So when you come into the house of the Lord, you come as you are, fine. But don't stay as you are. It's like having a, a brand new baby. If that baby is born fine. He can't do anything. Six months later, you expect them to be sitting down. A year, you expect them to be walking. Two years, you expect them to be babbling. If these things don't happen, something is wrong. And likewise, when you have somebody come in, become a believer in Jesus Christ, and these things don't change, something is wrong. 
Sometimes the enemy knows that he cannot attack the church from without, so he he attacks the church from within. And it's very important, especially, Brother Shirley, that's his job, (laughs) to make sure that anyone that comes in here is not come with an evil agenda. Brother Guy and Brother John, of course, you know, and I, and I believe they're doing a good job. Isaiah 6. Am I going to make time? Oh boy. Got so much to say. Isaiah 6. In these scriptures, what I'm trying to do It first show you the effect on holy men just want, want to show you an effect of what the holiest the holiness of God does. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sit upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim, each, had, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In Hebrew, I believe that's Kadosh. 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 It's like they see, they look at the Lord and they just say, holy. These are just, that is it. They proclaim, they they sing this night and day, holy. The holiness of God. And when the prophet Isaiah saw, he said, woe is me. When he saw the holiness of God, Isaiah was a prophet. He was considered a man of God. But when he saw God, he said, woe is me. Woe. Woe is a condemnation. I'm done. I'm dead. I'm finished. When you see the holiness of God, you know, in our state, we shall feel like this because there's something about the holiness of God that... that, it is just awesome. In my limited vocabulary, I don't use the word awesome. I've decided to just use that one when I describe God. Because I can't say that building is awesome and God is awesome. No, it doesn't equate to my mind. So I've made the decision that the word awesome I reserve for the Lord until I find a bigger word. <laughs> then I probably migrate to that word. But for now, in my limited English language, I, I say, Awesome. Another man of God that we see when he saw the holiness of God was the prophet Daniel, highly beloved by Christ. In Daniel, you don't have to turn to it. In Daniel ten eight, he said, "Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision." 
the vision of the Lord and no strength in me for my comeliness turned into ashes. You know, my whole beauty, my whole appearance is a turned into ashes when I saw the glamorous beauty and the holiness of the Lord. He said, that's it. It's like I just became like, whoa, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Nothing. Again, in Revelation 117, the Apostle John, who wrote the book of John and the book of Revelation, he was the one that had his chest on our, on our Lord's, his head on our Lord's chest. He knew the Lord. He knew him intimately as his Lord and Savior. But when he saw the Lord in his glorified self, it was a different picture. He said, I saw him and I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. He knew Jesus when he was on earth. But when he, see him, when he saw him in his glorified self, it's a different story. We have to come to that point whereby we begin to yearn that God will begin to show us a different aspect about himself that we, and we begin to like bow down and just, say, just surrender completely to him and say, Lord, have thine own way. Have thine own way, Lord. That we will take you seriously. That we won't play with this Christian walk. It's not a joke. Seventeen, five, seventeen, because of time. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. Defense by one man, Adam, grace, gift of righteousness by one man, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, did not inherit the original sin as we did. I mentioned earlier on. If you were born after the will of the flesh, then we have this original sin. Jesus Christ was not born after the will of the flesh. Jesus Christ was a hundred percent man, he was a hundred percent God. The power, the Holy Ghost came upon a virgin and she conceived. So he did not have that original sin nature and that's why he became the perfect sacrifice that was acceptable to God for our sins. If he was born after the way we were, how we were, then he would have had this sin nature. But because he was born miraculously, which was predicted about 700 years prior, so it's just, you know, this, this prediction happened that this was going to happen. 
And he did not have this original sin. And that's why he was the perfect person. Because Adam did not have the original sin. But he activated the sin. Jesus Christ did not have the original sin. And he did not activate any sin. But righteousness. And that righteousness is what has been imputed to us. Through his death and his resurrection. In John 1, 1, we we read the following. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and God... No, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. How beautiful, I love that, I love it. I love it. I love the scriptures. Sweet. Sweet. In the beginning, the words, just in case, the words talking about here is Jesus Christ. And just in case there's someone who's thinking, what, what is he talking about? What, what does he mean? <laughs> the word is Jesus Christ. The word became flesh. God, Jesus Christ, we, you know, sometimes I use God, sometimes Jesus Christ is the same person. He's God. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. So, you know, so God became man and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory has only begun to find a full of grace and truth. Oh, thank you, Lord. And because of what he did upon that cross, his righteousness has been imputed unto us. And this is why we don't have to fear. This is why we don't have to rely on our own works. It's not by our own works that we are made righteous. It's by what he has done upon that cross. Does that mean that because we're saved that we don't have to do anything now? He's put us here. If that was it, then we will not be here. He would have just taken us away once we became born again. But one of the tasks that is given us is to evangelize to the lost. That's one. If not, you, know, you become born again, that's it. You're saved up to heaven. But he's found it fit to leave us here. Thank God that through the sin of many, that through the, through the sin of one, one became, we all became sinners, but thank God that through the righteousness of one, we've all become righteous. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given your, this word to your servant. I, I believe that you wanted your flocks to hear this. I, I don't know. I, I couldn't shake it away, Lord. And when the pastor hacks me, Lord, I'm thinking, I, I really wanted to make an excuse initially. But then you quicken my heart again with it. And I knew that you were speaking. And Lord, I say thank you for giving me the opportunity to discharge it as faithful as I can. Lord, I pray that you will use it, Lord. We know the powers in your word. Say so this word that speak to their spirit and their life. Lord, that you will take this word and you begin to sow it, Lord God, in heart, Lord God. If there be any heart, Lord God, that knew these things, Lord God, that you will reinforce, Lord God, their faith with it, Lord. 
Sometimes when we've been living in the world, Lord God, we begin to get weary. We've sang earlier on. But those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, Lord God. They shall rise up as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. Lord, that this will be our condition, Lord. Lord, that we'll continue to wait on you. And Lord, that we'll continue to look to you, that we will not look to another. Lord, we just lift up our hands and say, Lord, have thine own way, Lord. And we say, you are holy. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of worship. Father, we pray that you seal these truths, Lord, into our hearts, Lord. We know that the enemy, Lord, will be really waiting to snatch it off and say, oh, don't worry about that. There's no such thing as an original sin. And that you are a good person. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we will see the truth for what it is, Lord. We've used examples on how we could see this original sin taking place, acting out, Lord. And, Lord, God, we just pray, Lord, that you just make the whole thing become a reality into our hearts, Lord, that we will continue to just rest and trust in only and that finished work upon the cross of Calvary. Father, Lord, these things we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.